in the African-American community, our spending power is $1.6 trillion. We have one of the highest amounts of spending power and the lowest amounts of asset earning um, products that we actually own. This is Gated Communities, where we talk about everything you're not supposed to talk about in the mortgage industry. Hey everyone, I'm Katie Jensen, staff writer for American Business Media. This is Gated Communities, sponsored by PennyMac, where we'll be talking about gatekeeping, redlining, company culture, and how to actually help underserved borrowers. Benicia Poole Watson was once a latchkey kid, walking home from school past gang members, drug dealers, and prostitutes through the streets of South Central Los Angeles. Early on, she was exposed to losing many classmates and in the sixth grade, experienced her first friend being killed by gang violence. But by educating herself in finance and hustling to become a real estate investor, Benicia turned her entire life around. Today, she is known as the top 1% of realtors in America with over 400 homes sold a year. Benicia is also the proud owner of her own federally charted bank, Prime One Home Loans, where she is operating as a direct lender. Hey everybody, my name is Benicia Poole Watson and I am the owner of a federally chartered bank. It is called Prime One Lending Group slash Prime One Home Loans. I also have Prime One Commercial where I'm, I'm running both residential and commercial real estate transactions through my bank. I am the sole owner. I do not have any business partners. I'm a veteran. Clearly I'm a woman and I am servicing every state except New York with mortgage loans. Um, I can go up to $650 million. So essentially, I can fund, um, you know, everything that's in real, real in residential real estate, as well as a multitude of things that's in commercial. I pretty much can do everything except a church on the commercial side. Amazing. Benicia, thank you so much for joining us. Um, like Benicia said, she's been involved in the real estate industry for quite a while. She had quite the journey. Um, she's known throughout the country as being um, listed in the top 1% of realtors in America. In addition, she owns a federally charted bank, Prime One Lending Group, such Prime One Home Loans, where she operates as a direct lender. So thank yeah. you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. So to start off, Benicia, can you tell us, the audience, a bit about who you are, what your upbringing was like, the communities that you surrounded yourself with that you feel connected to, and just kind of explain people how you got into real estate. Sure. So I got into real estate um, over 20 years ago, and I got into it as just a consumer buying my own property. Um, Once I bought my first house, I was able to flip that house after two years, and then I purchased a second home. And then from there, it just kept growing legs. And I took a job that would move me across state to state. And instead of just me renting an apartment or renting a place that wasn't mine, I like to own something. So I ended up accumulating over 20 properties before I was like 26. Um, And then um, from there, the space of getting into having a real estate license, I was working in corporate America and just chasing that corporate dream. And I was very successful in my job, moving up the ranks and kind of managing people who were younger than me. I moved really, really fast. And essentially, I got to a point where I started hitting a glass ceiling. Well, I can go lateral, but I wasn't able to go up. Mm-hmm. And so I started just basically asking, you know, hmm, God, is there something else that you're trying to redirect me to? Because it kept feeling like I was like somebody was holding the top of my head and my feet were trying to move, but I wasn't going anywhere. 
And so I just started tapping into my true self and saying, is this what what I'm really chasing in this job? Is that really what I'm supposed to be doing? And eventually God spoke to me after eight months of praying and he spoke to me, said, get a real estate license. I was still working that full time job and I was not in a space where I thought I would sell real estate. But the plan was different. God's plan was different. And I just took an opportunity to listen to him and I got a real estate license and that opened the door for where I am today. Wow. So if we could backtrack a bit, who kind of educated you on financial literacy? I think that's some, you know, people of any color across generations kind of struggle with is where do you learn this if your parents don't know much about it or if you come from generations of renters? So how did you um, become financially literate? So what's interesting is my mother's an immigrant. My mom and dad divorced when I was nine years old. So my dad was in a different house. I was in a different house, but we still had a relationship, but it wasn't like anybody was guiding me or showing me anything. It was just something that I just aspired to have more. I always wanted to be better. I kind of knew that there was a separation from owning and renting just based on the people that I saw. Um, Growing up in South Central LA, it was very impoverished area. There's a lot of like gang violence. There's a lot of, you know, drugs in the neighborhood. There's a lot of homelessness. There's a lot of just, you see everything, prostitution, everything. You see all kinds of stuff growing up. And I knew that, first of all, I don't want to live here. (laughs) As an adult, if I have an opportunity to get out, Thank God when I was in high school, my mom was able to elevate herself financially and move us out of these neighborhoods that were completely just just terrible. And so when she moved to the suburbs and we were able to see a different perspective, even though we're like I was a kid, you know, you don't pay attention to that stuff until now it's your turn to try to get into a space where you're doing better. And so that kind of set the precedence for me. In, in reference to wanting to learn more and do more. I ended up graduating high school at the age of 17 early, and then I went straight to college. So college, of course, opens the door to seeing more things. And then when I joined the military, now I'm seeing the world. So things like that, if you don't step outside of your comfort zone instead of outside of your little box that you live in that was created for you by your family members or whatever, you'll never understand how the world really works. And when you learn how the world really works, you learn how money really works. And when you learn how money really works, now you learn how investments work and how to make money and how to build wealth. So it all started with just an idea and a dream. And it was something that just came to me based on the fact that I just wanted to be better and have better and have a better opportunity for my family because my mother is an immigrant. And I I understood that she came here for better. And it was, you know, I just want to make my mom proud as well. Wow. That's amazing. And why did you choose real estate as an asset to invest in instead of going, you know, multiple other paths like stocks or something like that? Sure. So I did. I just purchased stocks. I was a part of some stock, um, some stock investments very young at the age of 20, 21 and the stock split. And so I was able to make good money, but I just didn't have a passion for stock. I didn't understand stock. I wasn't a broker. I didn't study it. It was just something that's, oh, you have an opportunity. You have some some money, put it in there. Um, But real estate to me was always attractive. When I was growing up as a young girl to keep us out of trouble, my mom did a lot of things. She would walk us through model homes on the weekends, even though we weren't buying anything. 
Um, when I was walking through the threshold of a house, it's like, okay, let's see if it's going to have what color paint or, you know, it was exciting. And so I think that sparked my interest in real estate without really sparking my interest. It was kind of like embedded in me. And as a real estate agent, when I got a license and I would help people, when I put the key in the door to unlock it in my warm and fuzzy feeling, I'm like, oh, I wonder what's on the other side of it. I was more excited than the customer probably was, but they didn't know it. So it was just something that that grew inside of me just based on the things that your parents expose you to and the things that you see can cause these triggers like, OK, wow, I really like this. So that kind of got me into the space of wanting to have some type of connection to real estate. Um, it all started when walking through those model homes. And another thing in reference to um, having a connection to real estate. So my mom also, she would, she would put me in programs for like the LAPD and stuff like that, just to keep me engaged. And like I said, out of trouble, but out of all the things that she exposed me to real estate was the one that really, really, really stuck. And when did that translate your your desire for financial freedom and bettering yourself and making your family proud. When did that translate to, okay, now I want to do this for other people. I want to get other people to um, achieve their dreams. Yes. Yeah. So as an investor, you know, it's, it's two sides. People show the shiny, they show, Oh, I got this. I got that from having real estate, that shiny items, but they don't talk about, or they rarely talk about when the tenant doesn't pay rent or when the roof falls in and you have to pay for it or the tenant breaks something and now you're responsible for it. Right. So um, stuff like that, or they may move out and you go in the house and it didn't look anything like what you had in the beginning. So, you know, there's two sides to it, but it's still fulfilling because at the end of the day, you know that you're able to support and help somebody in their life. So it started with that. So as an owner of real estate, um, being able to flip property and make money, real estate is the most bankable asset that we will ever have access to in the United, in the world. Okay. So because you can hold it and it will eventually grow equity, even though you see it like a wave, it goes up and down. Real estate has been proven to be the most bankable asset. So when I was able to buy a home for $60,000 and sell it for $138,000 and make a profit, that showed already that, hey, this is something that I might want to pay attention to. If I put my money in a bank account, it's going to make 20 cents in a year. If I put my money in real estate in two years, I made over $70,000. So which one do I want? Right. So it started with that. And then um, also with helping people as a license holder and being able to change the trajectory of someone's life. So, for instance, there's a there's people who have never owned property. They may be in their older age. They may be 40 years old or whatever and have never owned anything. They have no idea that they could own. They just been habitual renters, lifetime renters. If you're able to change the dynamics of how they think first, empower them by saying you can do it and then walk them through the process to get them to clear the clothes and get them the keys to their house. That has changed the trajectory and the projection of their life and their mindset. So now what does that do for the people who come behind them and their family? Now that inspires somebody to say, oh, I want to be like uncle so-and-so who bought just bought a house. Or if you're younger and you have the opportunity to buy, even if you started a condo or a duplex, showing that you can do it and setting the tone for the rest of the family members. I do help a lot of first-time homebuyers um, when I was selling real estate. I also had 90% of my clients were investors. So I was able to see like both sides of it. You got the people who are running fast through the woods and creating their own paths. 
And you have somebody who's just staring at the trees like, I don't know which way to go. You have to bulldoze through there and make your own path. Nobody's going to make it for you. But if you can be a, a catalyst and a person to help that individual change their mindset, you can change somebody's life. That's changing the way that they do the rest of their um, business in their life in this world. So um, to me, that's the most fulfilling piece of being able to get someone to the next step in their life. Wow. I mean, it seems you're kind of all over the place in the real estate industry. You you get this right. You got this. You became a real estate investor first. Yes. And then a realtor. Yeah. Now you own a federally chartered bank. So what what made you progress through that? Why did you choose um, to own a bank and become a direct lender? Okay, so banking chose me. I had no idea that I can be in banking. My master's degree is in public administration. My other master's is in political management. And then I have a law degree <laughs> and, and it, 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 so that had nothing to do with real estate. It had nothing to do with finances. And so after COVID, um, after being able to scale my business as a real estate agent, I actually put money into land. I put a million dollars into land and I started building and buying the block myself. And so once I did that and I was able to 10x my profit from being a developer, a real estate developer and a builder, custom home builder, and being able to make money because I knew what clients wanted to buy because I helped buyers and I knew how to maneuver as a seller because I helped sellers. So after I mastered that, I started having a bunch of networks coming to me for TV shows and then COVID hit. And so I was like, okay, I'm directing myself towards television. And okay, then that halted. And once that halted, when they started to start preparing to start filming, I'm like, yeah, I don't think so, because they were kind of pushing to start filming before COVID really was lifted. And we didn't know what the future was holding. So I just got out of the contract and stopped moving around in that space. And I started speaking more. And so I started speaking and telling my story and connecting more with individuals through speech and traveling all around the United States, speaking, telling my journey, my story. And I went to this one event. And when I got off the stage, a guy came up to me and he said, would you like to own a bank? Have you ever thought about it? And I'm like, no, I just told my whole story. I do real estate, my sales, blah, blah, blah. I'm building, developing, yada, yada, made a bunch of money. This is great. But I didn't know anything about financing. And he said, no, well, doctors don't own the clinics that they work in. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you hire the people to work in the bank. You don't actually do the work. And so um, I'm like, OK, tell me more. And as he told me more, the, the attorney started reaching out to me. And then a couple of weeks later, I was vetted as a federally chartered bank, direct lender approved by Fannie Mae doing every state except New York. And so in my mind, I'm like, OK, I can help my clients because I have 200 real estate agents that work for my company that on the real estate side, because it's not just me selling. I actually opened a company. I um, have hired agents that work for me. So they're all working. And I have my own personal clients that I help. So I was like thinking on a smaller scale, okay, if I own a bank, I can run my clients and run my agent clients through. But no, owning a bank is huge. Like I can help, my, my agents can use the services. Other agents can use the services. And even consumers that don't even have an agent can use the service. So now it's like, whoa, this thing has grown legs. I had no idea what I was getting into at the time. Um, I just knew that I wanted to affect some form of change. And so when I got into banking, it actually called me. I never called it, but it's been very, very um, fulfilling since then. 
Yeah, I imagine for underserved borrowers, it's one of the hardest things is to get secure financing for your home and finding the right kind of financing, especially if you have been renting all your life and you come from generations of of renters. So what does your company do to help underserved borrowers? What kind of underserved borrowers do you work with? Absolutely. So I have an FHA loan for 580 credit score. The average credit score is 620. So if I can go to 580 now, I'm helping people who have a few challenges. Maybe they co-sign for a friend or a brother, a sister, a kid, or, you know, maybe they divorce. Maybe they're starting their life over. Someone who's not counted out, they just had something, you know, happen in their life along the way. We all have life that happens. And when they go to a bank and they try to apply for a loan and then they're shut down, people get discouraged. So I'm giving people a space to be able to get into home ownership at an entry level credit score um, with the same three and a half percent down and just as anybody else, but affording that opportunity to, to people who have had challenges. Another one that I do is the bank statement loan and the bank statement loan is gonna be for the entrepreneur. So we have a, a, a growth spurt in the entrepreneur space, right? Because after COVID people realize, first of all, I don't have to go in that office. Second of all, I don't have to go back at all because I actually found something that I like to do. So what I can do is I can qualify you based on one to two years of your bank statements and just based on your business deposits from your business account and then take that number, no tax returns and qualify you based on that. So now it's empowering people to purchase at their higher purchase power, like even truck drivers, people who own businesses, they're writing everything off. And when you write everything off and they look at your tax returns, now it's like, okay, you only made 80 when we know you actually made a million dollars. Now we can live how we actually are making money. And it's empowering so many people to be able to scale and build and have the things that they deserve. So from one level as a 580 credit score to now as an entrepreneur, being able to get in a space that you normally couldn't get into because banks don't really understand how you're making money. Um, even with the space of I help people with crypto money. I don't take crypto, but I've offered, I've had services, I've had the ability to help people who have generated money through crypto, generated money through trading, and now they can come in on a non-QM loan with their deposits and be able to own a home. A lot of people don't understand how they're making money still because banks are so outdated. So, you know, it's just housing a space for the, for the people who have been kind of like floating a little bit. Mm -hmm. And also the regular people too, you know, the standard 620 credit score for conventional loan. I do 3% on conventional loan. A lot of people still think conventional loans are 20%. It's just mind blowing. So it's like just marketing to people to say, hey, you can get into a home with actually 3% down. So I imagine you kind of identify with a lot of the borrowers that you you work with. A lot of these people are hustling for financial freedom. I imagine people with the FHA want to do some owner occupied, um, help save on their mortgage and things like that. So how does that help you when it comes to marketing, making making a sales pitch and building a relationship with your borrowers? Yeah, actually, my borrowers are the marketers. It's actually empowered me because I have not put a dime into marketing, but I have over 80 million in transactional sales in the pipe. I do about 300 loans a month. I have not spent one penny on any type of national marketing. I don't even market on social media, have never boosted a post. So it's like just getting people to spread the word because they've done business with me or they have gone through the pipeline in some form or fashion with their customer or they know me personally, or they follow me on social media. So they're like, this is the bank that you need to go through. 
So it's actually really, really, really been very, very good to help the people who um, um, a lot of times are misinformed or don't have enough education. So um, so, yeah, it's been very good. And what do you guys do in terms of financial literacy? Do you think it's your responsibility as customer facing people to educate your borrowers? One thousand percent. A lot of banks do not do financial literacy. They are in, they are in a space where they're the receivers or they're the givers, but they're not the educators. A lot of people, again, see the shiny objects, but we don't know how they got it. So what we're lacking is that gap in the middle. And then if you have to completely pay to play, then you lose a group of people who can't afford it. So in the space that I'm working in right now, education is probably in most of my deals. A lot of my loan officers, they are going through the process with people, but they're also being the guide on for them, you know, taking the time to explain what they're signing up for because they've never done it before. So it's difficult when for the loan officer, it's time consuming. You know, you have to all you have people calling you all day and you're trying to work your pipeline. You're trying to get deals closed, but then you're having to educate someone all the time. Yes, it's it's hard consuming, but it has to be done because it's time consuming. I'm sorry, but it has to be done because that's the only way that we're going to reach people. You know, they have a saying called um, each one teach one. And so we have to be able to give the information so we can grow so we all can level up um, in the African-American community. Our spending power is $1.6 trillion. We have one of the highest amounts of spending power and the lowest amounts of asset earning um, products that we actually own. So what does that say? That means that we can buy whatever we want, but we're not buying the right things. That's going to be able to set a foundation for us financially, life insurance, real estates, things that are going to build money for your family or pay out when you pass so that somebody else can have an opportunity. We don't have any of that. So um, I don't just focus on one culture, but I am focused on bettering my culture and bettering the people who do business with me, whatever culture you are, just to in, encourage you to know more. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a movement. Yeah, that's fascinating. The, the fact that they have such great purchasing power, but it's really just the the financial literacy and some of these bear, uh, barriers in their way. That's it speaks a lot about what we need to do with financial literacy. So what are your thoughts on the widening gap um, between black and white home ownership? That's something we like to go over on gated community and get everybody's take on. Um, what do you think is, in your opinion, what is causing this and what can we, what can the industry do as a whole um, to help? Absolutely. It's education. It's understanding that you have the ability, you have the capabilities. Um, what, we live in a free world. So things are, can, can be afforded to you if you just take an opportunity to pay attention um, and you have to learn what you're doing. So I think that in the space of us widening the gap, uh, shortening the gap, um, that's what I'm, that's my, I'm trailblazing right now. I'm campaigning right now and encouraging our people to step outside of the box and purchase something. Because even if we're in an up or down, this wave will go away and eventually we'll be in a seller's market. And that's when you capitalize on your equity. That's when you cash out. That's when you sell or whatever you want to do. But you just have to start with learning and understanding how the market works. And that's what my whole company is about, just empowering and educating and making sure that we are a part of um, and not left behind. 
Don't miss the largest regional mortgage show in the nation. The New England Mortgage Expo returns to Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, January 12th and 13th. See us at www.nemortgageexpo.com. Start your year with the best connections in the industry. Dozens of sessions, scores of exhibitors. It's where success is written every hour. www.nemortgageexpo.com. Mm-hmm. And what do you suggest other companies to do? Some Maybe a company wants to get more involved with uh, underserved borrowers and communities. Other than that face-to-face interaction between the broker and the borrower, do, do you recommend that they do seminars, that they start, you know, maybe YouTube series on financial literacy? What do you recommend? Yeah. So for instance, I was appointed to the Mortgage Alliance, um, to the Mortgage National Association of Mortgage Alliance. I'm on the board. I'm the only African-American female. I sit on the board as the representative of the culture and the community. And so I was appointed to the board after six months of being in financing with no loan officer license, nothing. Just being a person who knows how to be a boss, first of all, and understands the business. And, you know, I know my community. I can speak on behalf. So stuff like that, getting involved, getting on these boards so that you can be the voice. If you are another African-American person or someone of minority and your your community is underrepresented, underrepresented, get on a board. Show that the community, first of all, that I'm taking initiative to go for it. Now, what can you do for the community and the space? I mean, you have to get into you have to get out there. You have to get out there. Um, you have to walk the walk. You have to engage with people. Um, there's no way around it. People are, they're not going to know who you are if you're not. And we don't take you seriously either. It's hard to get in the community. Like we're already, already like standoffish. Like, who, why, why are you talking to me? I don't really know you kind of thing. It's like, no, you have to hold seminars. You have to come out and, and buy coffee for the real estate agents, buy coffee for the community members, put up signs, show that you're in the community, not just coming in and leaving at 5 PM and going to your house and, forgetting about what we're doing on the weekends just to generate business. You have to get active. Um, You have to show face. You have to um, step up into the NAACP networking groups, which is the national um, African-American association for colored people. So it's like you have to get involved in these groups in order for you to be taken seriously in anything that you're doing Um, and be consistent with your position. Um, just showing up, getting a couple of deals and leaving like we don't like that. Come in, show, spend some time with us, you know, come to the kids event, maybe up to some of the um, in inner city high schools. Those places need to see um, us in the space of financial. So we, we have like right now I have a scholarship that I'm getting ready to launch. I'm going to send two students to real estate school every single year, high school, graduating high school students. It's starting in one school district and then it's going to grow legs into multiple school districts across the United States. What does that do? That puts me in the into the, the school district, right? That puts me into the high school. And a lot of times when I, you go into the high school, the graduating seniors, their parents want to know more about real estate, too. They are probably lacking in their knowledge 99 percent of the time. So especially if you're going into an inner city where people typically are not the owners of homes, maybe they are living in their parents' house, who's the owner or their grandparents who were the owners, but they themselves may not be owning anything. So a lot of people are fascinated with real estate, but what what it does is it generates that, oh, who is this person? Now they're in the school. Now they're talking to my, my daughter or son. They're sending my daughter or son to real estate school because every kid doesn't want to go to college. And 
you know, now it's like, let me type in, let me find out what this company is. Now you've created a way for us to get connected versus just me and you through a friend talking. Nobody would ever know unless your experience was amazing and you go and tell another person. So the best way is just get your foot in the community. Awesome. I've, and I've heard that's really the hardest part is building trust in the community, especially before you get to your sales pitch, before you get to the actual work. So I think that's really great advice. And can you think of any mortgage companies or perhaps your, your own um, that has a good model for serving and helping underserved borrowers? Like, what does that staff look like? Is that a bilingual staff? Is, is it a very diverse staff or do you not need that? Can it be, maybe it's an all white male staff, but they know how to connect with the community. So what, how do you build your company to really help underserved borrowers? Sure. You definitely need a multifaceted group. Okay. One, like when I see flyers of people coming in and listening, I mean, and speaking to groups in their one way, it's like, uh, <laughs> that's not even good marketing. Like that, like I want to talk about commercial real estate, but everybody looks like it's a, the same thing. A man with no, no women on the panel either. Like, come on, we have to break it up. So you have to include women. You have to include men. You want to go young. You want to go old. You want to have a group that's like diverse to connect with everybody. You want to have some former veterans. You want to have people to who are, um, who can touch all people, somebody who can have a connection with some. Um, so yeah, you definitely need to comprise it of a different group of, of people who have the ability to be people person too. Don't bring the introverts, okay? Cause that's not gonna work. Like bring someone who has some life, who's fun, but not overly aggressive. You know who those individuals are on your team and in your company. Um, or you can just come to Prime One Home Loans and then I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> So how is it working with underserved borrowers in today's market with home prices are high, inventory and low, but at the same time, rent is going up. People don't really want to rent. Um, So what kind of groups of underserved borrowers are buying homes right now? What are you seeing and how are you helping them find a loan and get the right property? Sure. So everybody's going to YouTube University, right? And so now they've discovered house hacking, right? So everyone is using the FHA loan, three and a half percent down. They use it as their primary residence. They get into the property, they stay in there for a year, and then they can have it as rental residual income. Um, and then they do it again, house hack again. So that's a big deal. That's a big thing that's going on. That's it's actually been going on for some years, but people are just, it, it's, there's always new people coming into the market. So it's always going to be something that's going to be, you know, someone's going to be like, oh, I got a great idea. How house, house hack. So that's a good one. Um, and that's in underserved communities as well, because most duplexes and triplexes and fourplexes are not in upscale neighborhoods. Those are in lower income areas. Right. So moderate three hundred thousand and below areas, typically. And so we also have an influx of people who are like, you know what? I want to own something. No buy condos. Town, townhouses are really good. Um, profitable items, just people who just want to have something. And then once they decide to get married or expand their family or whatever the case, they keep it as rental income. So when the people are buying things from me or when I'm helping people or from a real estate sales side or just from being a friend side or from the bank side, my goal is to t- educate you and say, hey, what, what could be the best thing? Because I have a lot of people who are like, I can't buy a house. I don't want to buy a house. I don't know. Buy a condo. Keep it. When you expand your family and you grow, rent it. Now you have one. 
you can get the other. Your your goal in life is to go up in, in finance anyway. So why would you stay in the same job for the next 40 years? You're supposed to be building. By the time you live in this townhouse for like a couple of years, five years later, you're ready to escalate into your next level. Like if you're going to marry somebody, they should be taking you up anyway. So the goal is to have your your rental properties and then keep going. And eventually you can you know, make a lot of money in real estate or the goal is, or the idea is to make good money in real estate. So eventually, eventually, yeah, financial freedom if they're, if they're lucky enough. So what advice would you give for loan officers and brokers who are just starting to work with underserved borrowers who are just trying to get into this community? Maybe they've uh, started working for a new company that offers to borrowers lower credit scores, higher debt. Um, How do you begin and how do you begin to build trust there? Well, patience is key. I, I pick up a lot of business because the loan officer wasn't patient. Or sometimes they don't get taken seriously. Oh, you're not ready. Oh, your credit score is low. Let me go over here and give more precedence to the, the person who has a 700 credit score. And now I'm, I'm, I'm all happy for them and I'm leaving these people behind. So I hear both sides of the story. Um, you have to treat every person like they deserve. And you roll out the red carpet for the $100,000 borrow, just like you roll it out for the $1 million borrow. Everybody is important because that $100,000 borrow will turn into a $500,000 borrow who will turn into a multi-million dollar borrow eventually one day. We're all, you know, subject to grow. When I was in high school, nobody probably would have thought I would have owned a bank. But so you never know where you're going to see people at at the end. Treat everyone the same and the results will be the same. It will be positive. It will be better. It will generate more business. I have, I remember when I was selling real estate and someone was like, oh, I have section eight. Nobody will help me. I helped this girl. And she said she went to the section eight office and she told everybody, hey, everybody, I have a realtor. She'll help you. And then like, I had like 88 section eight people calling me. I was like, (laughs) so like where you work, you will get stuck. Okay. So it's like, if your price point is 200, they're going to tell all their friends, $200,000 friends. I have, you're you're most likely going to connect with whoever that borrower is connected to. Right. And people operating groups. So if you want to get into a space where you're helping luxury borrowers, the second thing that comes with it is to get them to tell everyone that they know so they can bring all their million dollar um, clients to you. But the point is that you treat everybody the same so that way you can get a positive result and your business can grow. So whether you're helping the bottom or the or what people consider the top, we mm-hmm. have to give them the same respect. And I think that goes a long way. I think that would be an amazing journey as a broker, loan officer, realtor, someone who's working from the bottom, maybe just started house hacking all the way to, you know, you know, making making million dollar, you know, deals and things like that and buying luxury properties. I imagine that'd be an amazing journey, amazing thing to be a part of and to partner with someone with like that would be, you know, incredible. Absolutely. Ah, So thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your advice. Is there anything else that you want to let you know, our listeners know we have a lot of brokers and loan officers listening in. So anything else that you would like to share? Sure. I know that companies are shutting down. Okay. So you have a lot of loan officers, processors, underwriters that are getting released because their businesses basically was built on the back of refinancing and they didn't have a true model on how to help purchasers. Right. So a lot of these companies are letting people go and I'm hiring. So I'm not trying to advertise anything right now, but listen, if someone's listening and they're in a space where they're in need and they would like to have a good company, let's have a conversation. Maybe we'll see if it's a good fit. 
Awesome. Yeah. Now is the time, especially if you're just getting into the purchase business, underserved borrowers have been left out over the past few years. So they're the ones looking for homes right now. Um, and if you're looking for ways how to do that, listen to gated communities, listen to Benicia, and we'll let you know how to do that. So thank you so much. Absolutely. This is Gated Communities, hosted by me, Katie Jensen, for the Mortgage News Network. All episodes are produced by T.G. Kudem Karor and Matthew Mullins. Our head of multimedia is Mike Savino, and our editor-in-chief is Christine Stewart. Make sure you subscribe to Gated Communities so you get future episodes, and be sure to rate and review it so others can find it. The song you heard at the beginning was Wild Side by Saint Society. And the song you hear now is Will You Dance With Me by La La Nia. This podcast is copyrighted by American Business Media. 